at the intersection of mental health and parenting, that's where you'll find me. I'm Joni Edelman, and this is Mama Mental, the podcast that explores what it's like to raise human beings while you're still trying to figure out how to be one. Welcome to episode four, I think. Yikes. I don't know. I lost count and I didn't look before I sat down. In the last episode, we talked about perfectionism. We talked about dreams. We talked about seeking goals and persistence, perseverance. And today, we're going to switch all around and... As I promised in that episode, I'm going to talk to you about being the child of an alcoholic. I also said in that last episode that what I would do is sit down and just see what thing came to me when I sat down to record. And today, this is the thing that's on my heart. Um, I'm going to talk to you about my experience. And I bet, I'd be willing to bet anyway, that if you have this have a shared similar experience, that your feelings are not unlike mine. I referred in that episode to an article that I had written a few years ago called The Ten Things a Child of an Addict Wants You to Know. And uh, I will link that. I, I linked it there too. Um, in fact, I'm going to grab it right now. I'm just going to type in my computer, just pretend you don't hear it, and grab it so that I can use it as a guide for going through this sort of list. This this list, this list style of what it's like. Uh, I will preface this by saying a few things about my childhood, which I have briefly discussed, but not thoroughly. Uh, my mom is bipolar. She's unmedicated. She's been medicated. Uh, she was medicated very, very briefly during um, like my early 30s maybe. I took her to my physician and got her medicated, but um, she didn't want to stay medicated, which is the case with a lot of bipolar folks because mania feels good and losing it feels bad. So she went back to not medicating, which means medicating her depression with alcohol. Um, The manic times were just that, manic or hypomanic, depending on what she was doing, and the depressed times she cared for with booze, and that was the case when I was a child as well. So my parents were divorced when I was very young. I wasn't yet five. My father moved away a couple of years later, which left my mom being my primary caregiver. And in her bouts of mania, she was hopping from husband to husband, relationship to relationship, introducing uh, every other guy to me as daddy. Um, And when she wasn't doing that, uh, she was depressed and drinking. So two different experiences But not unlike being a bipolar person, I never really knew which mother I was going to get. So some days I might come home and she would have cooked dinner and everything would be great. And some days I would come home and she would not be there. And some days I would come home and she would be married to someone new. And I would have step-siblings. That happened twice. So 
That's the background of my experience. My father was mostly gone. He was living across the country. I was only seeing him very briefly. I definitely wanted to live with him permanently, but that just wasn't in the cards. Um, he now tells me uh, years later that he felt like it was inevitable, that I couldn't, uh, he would never have custody of me. The courts would never allow it. This is the 70s, right? Um, that my mother would have to be a real mess for the courts to hand me over. So he never tried. So he just never tried, um, which I've made peace with. Uh, he has apologized, and we've had a lot of conversations about it, and I, I love my dad very, very much, and I understand that he did the best that he could at that time. But that doesn't mean that the time that I lived with my mother didn't leave deep, deep scars on me, scars that are that, that will never heal over, scars that will always be right there and pain that will always be coming to the surface over and over again so i'm going to use this article as a guide i get letters about this article still uh, i wrote it in 2015 huffington post syndicated it around the world i said this in the last episode but because of that i get letters in other languages at times french spanish german um, what that tells me is number one, people are touched enough to reach out, which is always amazing. If you have a writer that you love, whose work you appreciate, I can tell you that that writer always appreciates hearing it because this is often a thank thankless job. But the other thing it tells me is that it's timeless and it's relatable. It's, it's something that if you experienced it, you will never forget it. So there will be um, probably discussion of abuse in this if you're not ready to hear that. I can't be sure what I'll say because I haven't said it yet and I don't have a script, but it might happen. Um, and of course, addiction, alcoholism. So the first thing uh, that I tell people a lot of times um, and that I tell, I've told partners in my life is that I do not understand the concept of normal. Um, normal I often have said in articles is a relative term or we joke normal is a setting on the washing machine. But the kind of normal, quote unquote, that you have as the child of an addict has no, there's nothing to compare it to. There's nothing to, to compare it against. So you really don't understand because normal for me, a lot of times was taking care of my mother, being a mother to my mother. Uh, normal was often taking care of myself most of the time. Um, but then not taking care of myself because what child is capable of caring for themselves? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, that, that lack of normalcy really creates a certain fear and it makes you very rigid um, when you don't know what normal is, you conclude that normal is perfect. The only, that, you, that perfection is normal. As a consequence of this, is that you create in your mind what a normal family looks like. And it might be um, something you've seen on TV. It might be something you've read in a book. Uh, but you sort of create this image of normal and then you try very hard as the child to present that image to the world and then as you grow up because you don't understand 
that family does include conflict and family does include pain and sorrow and suffering. All of those small things that happen in the course of your life, a fight with your partner, your children doing something abhorrent, uh, those things feel catastrophic to you. Because it seems like what you are is just one step away from that, that disaster, which is just waiting. Number two is that we are afraid. We are afraid, deeply, profoundly afraid, especially of the unknown. Because the unknown was our reality for so many years, we are frightened at the prospect of not knowing what might come next. We might not have known, uh, you know, I might come home from school and I, I wouldn't know if there was going to be dinner or if she was going to be passed out. Even as an adult, if I know that that's unlikely to happen, the reality is that the fear is so deeply embedded that it, it's not likely that I'll even recognize it, much less be able to work through it. And that will come out in a number of ways, from anger to sorrow, and it probably won't look like fear to us, to me. The other thing, uh, number three, which is sort of part two of number two, is that we are afraid to have children and we are afraid to parent because we are afraid we will ruin them like we are ruined because we definitely feel ruined. I definitely spent most of my young adulthood feeling very, very broken and being very fearful that I was going to make broken kids and parent broken kids and turn into my mother. Even if there's no evidence to suggest that I would become my mother, that fear was always lingering and the fear that I would screw it up and that I would perpetuate the same pain with another generation. The next thing is guilt. I feel so guilty all the time. The children of addicts are smothered by their guilt. We don't understand how to care for ourselves because often our childhood was spent caring for other people, cleaning up, uh, you know, I cleaned up my mom's vomit. I would wa wash her face for her. I would uh, take care of her like she was my baby. So as a result, I did not grow up knowing how to care for myself, and I'm notoriously bad at it still. I have to have an app to remind myself to drink water, and when I do take time, Let's say I want to get a massage or I want to go get my nails done. I'm plagued with guilt the entire time. One, because I feel like I should be doing something else. And two, because my life was literally built on the foundation of I give to you and receive nothing in return. So it's very difficult to receive love. It's very difficult to believe that you are accepted by someone or loved truly and deeply by someone because you're certain that at, at some point in the very near future, that person who claims to love you is going to see through you to the true you and then leave. Number five, of course, is we are controlling because of that lack of understanding normal, because of being so fearful, we will often exert control over everything around us. This manifests itself at home, at work, in our relationships. 
I find myself very unflexible. This doesn't seem like dysfunction to me. It feels like a strength, like a positive character trait. This sort of immobility, the inability to deal with a situation that might change. Uh, the reason for this is because when you grow up without control over your surroundings and spending your childhood trying to control your surroundings, you reach adulthood and suddenly you sort of are in control of those things, which means now you are even more compelled to control every aspect of your life, including other people, so that no surprises pop up, right? Because if you're controlling everything that's going on, you won't be taken by surprise. Mama Mental is brought to you by Ravishly.com, your source for feelings, family, and feminism. <sighs> Number six is perfectionism. You often see OCPD, the Obsessive Compulsive Perfectionist Disorder, in the child of addicts because we are so critical. Because we are so self-critical. And also... We are very sensitive to the criticism of others. Why? Deeply, deeply seated fear of rejection. Deeply seated. Deeply seated fear that everything's going to fall apart. Deeply seated fear that we are not enough and that the only way we can be enough is to be perfect. We are overachievers. A lot of the time. I was talking recently to the psychologist at my uh, daughter's school and I said to her, I wonder what the school psychologist thought of me when I was a kid because I went to the school psychologist a lot, a couple of, couple of three times a week. And I wonder how they pegged me as a child that needed that extra time and I wonder what they thought of me. And the truth is, the people that see these kids can pick them out of a lineup because they are the kids that are always helping other people. They are the kids that, are, that cry over a bad test grade. They are the kids who are, are constantly trying to help and calm and soothe and be a peacemaker um, and they're often overachieving. They're often overachieving to the point of, of detriment, really. Number seven, we did not know peace in our childhood. Because we do not know peace in our childhood, we are more comfortable with chaos. I am more comfortable when things are a mess. And that is because... That feels normal to me. Not because it's healthy, not because it's a good idea. And of course, I know it's not a good idea. But children of addicts often create chaos. They create stress. They create unrest because they know how to function in those settings. They do not know how to function when things are calm and good. They do not know how to relax into a relationship that is healthy. They do not know how to believe that they are capable. We just, we just know that 
abuse and neglect and stress and chaos feels comfortable because those are the emotions we we learned how to deal with another one a big one number eight um we will often be in charge of everything and this applies very specifically to female children and even more specifically to the eldest daughters of addict mothers there are whole books written just about this topic because women as children we were forced to take on the responsibilities of our incapable mother turning us into the mother right if you had siblings you were likely caring for the siblings i was caring for my little sister uh, my mom left when she was four and brought her to my house those like that's that was normal so responsibility is everything and that is to say i will take responsibility for everyone everyone's feelings everyone's needs everyone's emotions and maybe not my own maybe i feel mostly comfortable taking care of other people and we are the women that grow up to run the show a lot of the time there are books written about successful women whose mothers were al alcoholics or addicts and that's not to say any of that is good we don't want to we would never want to praise someone for that achievement well congratulations to you for being in charge because your mother was an abusive drunk but the truth is is that that happens that happens a lot because we were made to be capable very very young This is the irony you see sometimes these memes floating around saying check on your strong friend and it's true i'm often i've often been labeled the strong friend and i'm often falling apart inside and might not even know you know might, might not even know number nine of course is approval seeking <sighs> constant approval seeking with an exceptionally low self-esteem and because it's likely that if our parents were not nurturing we did not meet uh, the stages or complete the stages of child development that are outlined by um, in the Erickson's stages so you have trust versus mistrust as your very first basic stage which is that your needs get met imagine if your needs were never met and you were not unable to form a secure attachment to another human because you were not sure that you could rely on that human. Of course that follows you. That need for approval will manifest itself everywhere and often in self-sacrificing behavior. Which again goes back to that we will give and give and give until there's nothing left to give because we so deeply want to be loved because we we are so fearful that we will be left and 10 we live in conflict we live in a life of conflict we want to be perfect but we can't be because we're paralyzed by fear of failure we want to control our surroundings and everything around us but we desperately want someone to take care of us we want to be self-assured because we know that's the control 
But then we can't be self-assured because we grew up believing we had no worth. We want peace and harmony. We believe that that's the key to happiness, but we, but we live in chaos because we don't know how to live in peace and harmony. It's like living in a, in a constant state of, what's the word I'm looking for? Paradox. There you go. It's, it's a paradoxical life. And even after months and weeks and years of therapy, it's still, it's still a battle you're going to fight. It's still a battle that if you know someone who's the child of an addict, chances are that they're fighting that. They're still fighting it. They're waking up every day, you know, chanting to themselves, I am worthy, I am worth it, I am enough. And then going throughout the day and throughout their lives feeling like they're not. When you're a child, every, everything that you need is provided by someone else. And that includes your own sense of self, your sense of the world, the sense of order. All of those things come from external sources. And when those external sources fail to provide those things with you, what do you expect happens? You become an adult that flails. You become an adult who suffers. You take your trauma with you wherever you go and you're always trying to work through it and you're always trying to pause and remind yourself and ask yourself, is this a reaction based on my previous experience as a child of an alcoholic? Is this based in fact? Is this fiction? How do I know what is real? How do I know what is not real? How do I trust myself? How do I trust others? I can do a whole episode about how to live with a child of an addict. Um, but I can briefly tell you that if you are married to or in a relationship with someone who was the child of an addict, that uh, it is not an easy, it is not an easy thing to do, to love someone who is who who might be so profoundly broken. It's often very painful, it's often very frustrating, and uh, it's it's often you know maddening. But imagine how it is to be the child of the addict. Because it's maddening for us too. It's maddening f to, to go through your life believing at any moment that you're going to be left. And sabotaging your relationships to try to ward off that pain before it happens. Sabotaging to protect your heart. It's not a, it's not a, a an easy way to live. But it is the way most of us live. And this is coming from a person who's had a lot of therapy already. You know? It's not an easy time. But what I will say, 
and there's a curse word that's going to happen if you want to tune out, if your kids are listening. I will say that I am fucking resilient. I am strong and I am capable and I am those things because of my childhood. And while I would never say I was grateful to have grown up in such chaos, what I will say is that I am grateful for what that chaos made me. Because the person that I am is good. And the person that you are is good. And the parts of you that tell you it is not is just the echo of your parents' voice. It's not the truth. Thank you for listening to Mama Mental. And while I am a registered nurse, nothing that I say in this podcast should be interpreted as medical advice. Please speak to your own healthcare provider, and if you are feeling suicidal, call the suicide helpline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.